0: Praise God. Uh, we are doing this set free campaign, but our big push hasn't started until this week. Is when, what, praise God, we had it over uh, Chad City count over 80 people that went out street witnessing. That's awesome. The JWs and Mormons don't have anything on us, by the grace of God. Uh, and we're going to continue, we're going to do that again just before Christmas. So we don't want to do it too often where people just fall off. We're gonna do it. That, that we're doing all kinds of evangelism campaigns, uh, and, and witnessing and going the nations. But two times a year, uh, I mean, we go out several times a year. We, a lot of us go out at different times. A lot of you know whether it's just speaking to people on the streets, right, or just speaking at somebody at a restaurant or somebody. which I'll be witnessing all the time. Uh, but then early summer, we're gonna do another set free campaign. So we'll do two of these a year where we get a bunch of people out. You're like, wow, I want to go out even more. Praise God, we go out all the time, go out, keep going out, you don't have to always be in this way, but uh, the great push where we get like about almost 45,000 tracks out will happen, uh, it looks like it's gonna happen this week, so pray about that, amen, and we also, the timing worked out because uh, the printer broke when we were gonna get all the tracks sent to us, you know, these new tracks, but we still had plenty of stuff to put out, Crazy timing, right? But it worked for the good because we were able to polish up that video and everything, and there will be a QR code on this track that's getting, booklet actually, a 20-page booklet that's going to get mailed to 40, almost 45,000 houses in Simi Valley. All right, here's a, a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm really excited about that. Hopefully you're excited about that. Uh, so I'll keep praying for that. Pray that the hearts of those who receive these booklets will be open. A lot of you seen the cover that. That's, a cover, that's something they're not going to throw away. Most people are like, what is this? They're going to open it up, man. And Before you know it, they're going to be realizing their need for Christ. Amen? And that's, that's, that's our heart and our hope. All right. Uh, so I was going to do a set-free message. I did one last week right after we went street witnessing. And I was going to do one this week, but I'm going to skip this week because I want to do them in concert with people that are getting those flyers and hopefully pray that people will show up here. Amen? In the next... Uh, because we're going to do 930665... And then 93063 zip codes separately because there's so many going out. Uh, and if we get, Josh said, if we get 20 people here, we're going to be packed. So are you ready for this? And I'm like, oh, I, we could fit 20 in and then we could put more chairs in. So we can probably get 30, 40. I don't know uh, about the uh, <laughs> firemen might shut us down. we got a lot of firemen here. so uh, <laughs> But we'll be good. <laughs> Shane's shaking his head no, man. Uh, I should put that on tape. Well, yeah, if it's a fire hazard, he'd deal with it, yeah. (laughs) Of course, you know. (laughs) Praise God. Uh, Praise the Lord. Love you guys, man. And uh, we're going, so we're going to go through a a book. Now, we're going to go through James pretty soon, but that's going to be an in-depth study. And I love to do in-depth studies because we look at the whole Bible, so you learn the whole Bible, or a lot of the Bible through the books we study. But I also like to sometimes jet through a book, and we're going to go through the entire book of Jonah today. And... Uh, Brother Jonathan Walden, who's such an uh, an amazing brother, he's like, what's the title of the message? And man, I said, just call it Jetting Through Jonah, you know? (laughs) Jetting Through Jonah. Okay, and Father God, we do pray in your son's name that you would open up our hearts as we get in the book of Jonah and really be glorified through this. Challenge us, help us to leave here just enamored with you and who you are and your great goodness, and help us be convicted of any sin that resides in our hearts so we could repent and be right with you and glorify you with one heart and one voice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jonah chapter one. What an incredible book, man. This is a whale of a story. You guys are going to trip out on it, man. I know, that sounds like a fishy title, but you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jonah is an amazing book because uh, his na- there's a lot of ironies in Jonah. Just his name yeah. means dove. But he was, not, he was not dove-like at all. There's a ton of ironies throughout the book of Jonah that just blow me away. Should, uh, hopefully it will blow you away as well. Because uh, it's interesting about Jonah, he's a prophet. And usually when you read uh, about, you read one of the major prophets or minor prophets, it's a bunch of words from those prophets. This is more, about, this is more of a narrative about a prophet's life. And the greatest lesson here is, learning from his life, and drawing a line from his life to our lives. And at first, you may say, well, I don't see the parallels, man. I'm not in rebellion to God. But there's some very, very interesting parallels that I think God will use, uh, I believe he wants to use, to get our attention. Now, some theologians, uh, skeptics as well, think, hey, this isn't really a true event. You know, this is an allegory. There's theologians that say, hey, this is an allegorical teaching. It was never meant to be taken literally. Uh, a lot of people that claim to be, the Bible's the Word of God say, yeah, the Bible the Word of God, but this is just an allegory. Uh, I personally differ with them on that. Uh, I don't have a hard time at all with, you, you know, God using a big fish or sea creature to swallow someone up miraculously. I don't believe it happened. I don't believe it's just all natural. In fact, the scriptures are really clear. It was a supernatural event. And that's not hard, it's hard for me to swallow at all. I'm sorry, I'll quit with the... Uh, <laughs> uh, that, one was an, that one was an accident. I don't know, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, years ago, in the 18th century, there was a skeptic, and he, in fact, he was called the great agnostic of the 19th century, I should say, Robert Ingersoll. Robert Ingersoll was called the great uh, agnostic of the 19th century. And it's interesting because he was the son of a Presbyterian minister who was actually an assistant to Finney, uh, very popular evangelist at the time. And uh, he, became, he basically became a, a, this agnostic, and, and he was very caustic and arrogant and proud. He was a lawyer and uh, so forth. And I'm not saying if you're a lawyer, you're not trying to draw a parallel there, but that was his profession uh, and so forth. And it's interesting because the uh, story goes that he was out on the streets uh, in an intersection, uh, and there was a woman from the Salvation Army sharing the gospel, that's when the Salvation Army was more on the streets sharing the gospel in the, in the old days. And he caustically, with derision, mocked her, you know, and says, you believe that book? And she says, yes, I certainly do, you know. And he's like, oh, I suppose you believe that, you know, God used a fish to swallow Jonah. She goes, yes, I do. And he said, oh, you know what? He goes, how did Jonah live in the fish for three days and three nights? Explain that one. And then she said, I don't know. I suppose when I get to heaven... I'll ask him. And she, he said, well, how do you know he went to heaven? What if he went to hell? Then she said, well, then I suppose you could ask him. You know. So either way you get your answer, yeah. Well, it's interesting because Jonah is a historical person. In fact, you could read in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23, about his ministry to Jeroboam and uh, his kingdom and so forth. And he prophesied over his kingdom and about the expansion of his kingdom, which took place. And then there was a quick, uh, then there was sin, and then there was discipline. And then the beautiful things that were to happen in Jer- Jeroboam's kingdom actually got reversed. But it's interesting. Uh, by the way, we have two options when it comes to creation, right? Either nothing, we talk about this, either nothing created everything, the whole universe, consciousness, design, you know, space, time, matter. Nothing created everything, or God created everything. There's really only two options. And one is very, very obvious, (laughs) and one, it's impossible. Nothing has no agency to do anything. And I point that out because the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, amen? amen? If God created the heavens and the earth, which he did... Having a fish, a big fish, it doesn't actually say whales. It could be some, any kind of sea creature. Uh, he could easily, and it says God prepared a fish. could have been a very unique uh, creature that God just created for that specific moment. Yeah. We don't know exactly. But if he could create the universe, having a fish swallow a dude is an easy deal. Amen? Yeah. I know it's, and that's one of the ironies. Usually people catch fish, but in this case it's a fish catching a man, right? And it's interesting so, but also, and I think this is most important, is Jesus spoke of Jonah as a real person, and he spoke of the events that took place in Nineveh as realities. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, he says, But he answered and said to them, it states, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. Yet no sign will be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was at three days and three nights in the belly of the great sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In fact, he says that Jonah was a picture, that God did that as a typology, and it's really deep. And the book of Jonah is super heavy. You're going to be blown away as we get through this book, okay? How many of you are betting I don't get through all four chapters? How many you are betting, well, you might get through it, but you're not going to be on time, okay? I'm going to still try to be on time. Lord, help me. Uh, so he says, Jesus goes on to say, so will the Son of Man be in three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation... At the judgment, ha, there it is, and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here, i.e., Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is powerful, man. When you think about it. Oh, by the way, a liberal, some kind of liberal commentator. Well, this may just be an allegory. I'm going to choose Jesus every time over some liberal commentator. Amen. Amen. Absolutely, man. And uh, let's go to Jonah chapter one without any further. Uh, do as far as looking at the book itself. Uh, We read in chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah means dove. Amittai means faithful one. And Jonah was neither of these. It says, arise, verse 2, go to Nineveh, the great city. It's a great city. And cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which is the modern-day Iraq area at this time where there's been a lot of wickedness through many many years and he noticed he says he's going to punish them or to warn them about their wickedness their evil some translations have it their great wickedness now keep in mind they were incredibly wicked and I was praying about what book to go into or what teaching to do. Maybe just a few verses uh, th- before I got here. Uh, before I, you know, obviously before I got here. Uh, but before this message, I was like, Lord, burn on my heart something to share. And, you know, it came back to me more than once because I had shared just a little bit the last week about, I showed you from the British Museum, you know, the pictographs where you have just carved of, of Judeans, Jews, from, from the Assyrians, uh, impaling Jews, the Assyrians impaling Jews, where some say that they, you know, the, the, the uh, spears or what have you, they were impaled, that went up their rear ends. No, and I show you, they actually go up under, in their gut, and they're, they're hooved over. And these are actual, this is history. You know, you can study how the, the Ninevites and, or the Assyrians were impaling the Jews. We talked about they'd skin their victims alive, okay? They'd have strings of people following them that they didn't kill because they'd rape the women. They'd often kill the women, the men and the kids. But they'd string them on fish hooks in their mouths and drag them out of their cities after they destroyed them. We talked about that. They put pyramids made of skulls in the front of the gates of their their cities to warn people this is what's going to happen to you. These were incredibly cruel, uh, wicked people. They make a lot of the terrorists uh, that are out there today in in the Middle East and so forth look like choir boys by the way they treated people. They are incredibly wicked. So Jonah's going to have a hard time sharing with these guys, and we read in verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He's running from the presence of the Lord. And if you notice, the Lord there is all caps. That's because the the Hebrew is YHWH, the Tetragrammaton, the divine name of God, Yahweh. He's literally running from Yahweh. So he went, what does it say? So he went what? He went Down. To Joppa. I think it's interesting it's down to Joppa because you see this downward motion of Jonah. Whenever you run from God, you're going down. Okay? You're going down from the count. And if you continue in your rebellion against God, you'll be down in hell eventually. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid the fare, and went down. There's again in uh, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The emphasis is he's rebelling against the Lord. God okay now this is crazy because he's called to go to the east 450 miles east is where Nineveh would be the capital of Assyria this great city but instead he's heading 2,500 miles in the total opposite direction as far as you can go west he's going west in the known world at that time he's getting out of Dodge he's like Lord Lord, I'm doing the opposite of what you're I'm not doing what you're saying I'm going the opposite direction really really crazy then in verse 4 The Lord hurled a great wind. I love this. Okay, And by the way, it says great wind. The Hebrew word translated great is used 15 times in the book of Jonah. It's an amazing book. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every one cried. Every man cried to his god. Remember, these are just total heathens, man. These are pagans. They're crying out to their demon gods for help, and nothing's happening. And they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. Okay, these are experienced ship, uh, uh, mariners, mariners, and they're doing what they can to keep the thing afloat. But Jonah had what? He had gone below, there's that downward motion again. He had gone down or had gone below into the hold of the ship, and he lain down and fallen sound asleep. Now, he's not asleep on a ship like Jesus is, but he's a picture of Jesus in some ways, as we'll see, where Jesus has his confident sleep, putting his trust in, in the Father and knowing that he's the Messiah. Jonah has a sleep of rebellion, man. He's trying to escape his guilt, perhaps, too. Uh, so the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? You know, get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will uh, be concerned about us so that we will not perish. It's like our gods aren't working. This is something really, really ominous. This isn't your typical storm, okay? They're just, because this thing comes out of nowhere. You know, they're not expecting a storm. The weather doesn't say storm. They're freaking out now because they're realizing this seems very, very supernatural. Verse 7, each man said to his mate, come, let us... uh, Cast lots so we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. Many people even today still cast lots. And even John Wesley cast lots and read about them in Scripture at times. And pagans did it. to just, Lord, you know, God, they do this to their gods. And these guys are saying, hey, let's try to figure this out. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Oh, I guess one of these times when God said, you know what? I'm going to intervene. I'm going to let you know what the problem is here. They then said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew. Well, that's part of the situation, guys. He's a Hebrew, and he's okay with God calling the Hebrews and himself to repentance, but he has a really hard time with God reaching out to the Ninevites because they were such wicked, evil people. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. In other words, my God is the God that created everything, guys. Amen. Okay, But he obviously misspeaks a little bit there, because he says, I fear him. Was he fearing him? No, no he wasn't fearing the Lord. The Bible says to fear of the Lord is to turn away from evil. Amen. Yeah. Uh, then the men, it says, became extremely frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God. The Lord. And by the way, they knew that he was fleeing from Yahweh. They start to recognize that he serves the true God. And look what it says. It goes on to say this. Because he had told them, because he had told them, they knew he, he, he told them the story, and they're like, this is it. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy, stormy or as some translations say, tempestuous, this big temp- tempest. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Wow, that is gnarly, guys. That's crazy. He goes, and by the way, this is a clue right here. It's our first real clue. When he turns the other way to Tarshish, uh, to just he wants to know part of Nineveh. A lot of commentators, a lot of people feel he's just afraid because of how wicked they were they were incredibly wicked he doesn't want to be tortured he doesn't want to just be skinned alive or what have you and i posit to you that that's not the problem his problem is not fear of the ninevites it's hatred for the ninevites his heart is all jacked up man he hates this people keep in mind the Ninevites are a rising power. They're, becoming a, 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 they're, they're known for their wickedness. In fact, in this very same century, the ten nations of the northern kingdom are destroyed, right? By who? The Assyrians, same people. In fact, guess what? When we talk about the lost tribes of Israel, the ten tribes that we call the lost tribes of Israel are, are lost because of them, the Assyrians. Jonah didn't like these folks, okay? Okay. And he had already had their their fame or their infamy, I should say, perhaps, uh, had already spread enormously. Now, it's interesting. uh, They're asking him about this. And he just, why I'm saying this is he's not afraid to die. Throw me overboard. I'll drown. He's not afraid of death. It's not a problem of fear. It's a problem of of hatred. Yet, I give him a little bit of credit because at least he's speaking the truth. When they woke him up and said, what are you doing sleeping with? It's all going on. What's going on with you? You know, he could have said, none of a business or none of your business, you know, <laughs> but he doesn't say that at all, you know, instead he, he's just pleading. This is what's going on. You know, I, I'm, I'm the one, I'm, I'm the guilty guy, right? Okay, let's uh, pick it up now at verse 13 of chapter 1. However the men rowed desperately to return to land but they could not for the sea was becoming even stormy against them then they called the Lord guys notice it's all caps LORD when you see it all LORD in the old testament all caps that doesn't mean just master it's using the divine name of God the tetragrammaton there it is again they're calling on who now these guys get converted okay did they stick with their conversion I don't know but they're calling upon Yahweh okay you are the true god in fact, Jonah said he created the heavens and the, and the sea, and the sea's going nuts, and, they're, and, they're, and they call upon Yahweh and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. Okay? That's, that's heavy. By the way, isn't it interesting? I posit to you, and I could be wrong on this. I haven't seen any commentary, so when, when you don't see something before... It's not a new doctrine. It's just an insight I'm sharing with you. It could be wrong. Uh, because, But I'm not saying it hasn't been said before, but it's just, it strikes me because Jesus, Jonah is definitely a picture of Jesus. No doubt about that. Amen? Jesus said so, right? But to me, he's a picture of the second Adam, Jesus, right, who gets us all out of the boat ultimately if we put our trust in him. Amen? But he's also a picture of the first Adam and got us all into the boat, right? And they're all in the same boat because of him. Amen? We're on that boat because of Adam, amen? Now, we're not just, we're not, God won't condemn us because of Adam's sin because the Bible says that there's an age of accountability. It's very clear in Romans chapter 7 that before we uh, become aware of, of sin that we're innocent before God and then when we become aware of our sin and we break God's moral law in our conscience, we don't know what that age is, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, we don't know. It's probably different for different people. Paul said there was a time when I was alive but then when I became aware of the law and I was a lawbreaker, then I died, Okay. So it's interesting, we're all sinners by choice though, but Adam represented us, amen? He was the, the first of our human race, amen? So if it was Frank or it was Tom, instead of Eve, it was Betty or Joanne or whoever, guess what? Not to pick on you, Joanne, but you know, Joanna. But what, any, other, any of other names, we would have all fallen too, okay? He represented us. But they're, in, they're there as a count of him. He's a picture of the first Adam as well, okay? And I love the picture. We talk about that, that little, little idea about, you know, people being in the same boat. We're all in the same boat, guys. We all have the sin problem. They say, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, there's Yahweh again. He calls him Yahweh. They call him Yahweh. Have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped raging. What a powerful picture of Jesus. Because Jonah voluntarily offered himself isn't that what Jesus did for us? Jesus volunteered Himself for us. And when we accept Yahweh, the Lord God, amen, and the sacrifice that He's made through His Son, amen, the storm of God's wrath that we deserve stops raging against us. That's good news, amen? Can't somebody say amen to that? Amen. Okay? And let your feelings out sometime, man. we got to rejoice in Jesus, man. Yeah. You know? I'll tell you what. Oh, Lord, have... <laughs> You have done as you please. You picked up, picked up Judah and threw him in the sea, and the sea stopped raging. That's one of my favorite verses of the book of Jonah, man. The sea stopped raging. Because God's wrath was against you and me. We're all children of wrath, hostile in our minds toward God, deserving our just deserts. But God, in his grace and mercy, man, relented of pouring that wrath out upon us. Uh, because his son died, he sent his son to die for us. Amen. Amen. So it's interesting when Larry gave his testimony. It's funny because we only, we had two. I said, "Anybody have a testimony?" You know, and one brother shares about the hurricane we had, mild by Miami standards, I guess, and yeah. there on the, the ah, very mild, uh, and then the earthquake at the same time. You know, and Jesus talked about the rage of the sea. I thought oh, that's interesting. They don't even know where I'm going to Jonah. Amen. And Larry talked about yeah, God. He punishes evil because, it, but he hurts his heart to do so. Right? He loves us. I'm like, man, that's the story. God's going to punish the Ninevites, but his, his heart breaks to even... The Bible says that God does not afflict the sons of men willingly in Lamentations chapter 3, okay? It's not his heart, to afflict the sons of men. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord, Yahweh, greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Isn't that interesting? Sacrifice to Yahweh. They didn't realize that's what Jonah was, his picture. And the Lord appointed the Lord now notice this, the Lord appointed a great fish, okay? The Lord appointed a great fish. So this was the Lord's doing, okay? To swallow Jonah doesn't say whale in the Hebrew, okay like I said, it could be been any, it could have been a brand new fish that never existed before, or that He created a species of that's now extinct, or something that he used in the ocean. Uh, but either way, I don't have a problem with this because uh, there's because, well, guess what? You know there's sperm whales. There's an account of, I think it was 1955, an account of a sperm whale, which was like 50 feet long, and they gutted it, and they pulled out a 40-foot uh, octopus, or I'm sorry, squid, a 40-foot squid that weighed 405 pounds. Okay? These, these things can swallow things whole, you know? And some point out that uh, in, 19, or in 1891, there's an account of James Bartley that was reported in the New York Times in, uh, in the 1890s uh, as an event that uh, a guy by the name of James Bartley that was actually uh, sucked up and swallowed by a sperm whale uh, for some time, which is kind of interesting, really fascinating. But I don't need those clippings. I don't need those reports because God's, God's a supernatural God. This is the easiest thing in the world for him to do. Amen. Again, you create the universe. You can even make a blade of grass. You can take a fish and say, okay, I'm going to supernaturally preserve Jonah in this great fish now, it's interesting. Also, in Princeton, the, the Princeton Theological Review, you know Princeton the University? Princeton Theological Review uh, had an article called The Signs of the Prophet Jonah and its Modern Confirmations. And it, states about, it talks about this great, uh, this, you know, this great fish uh, that, or the sperm whale that swallowed this guy named James Bartley. Same, same reference that the New York Times would also pick up. Jonah was a walking parable though, guys. Because this whale is taking him down. And I'm trying to tell you right now this story. A lot of people think this is all about Nineveh repenting. That's a big part of it. But the main part of the story is about Jonah's heart and God's servants having their hearts right before God. So it's incredibly radical uh, just bearing upon us and who we are before God and making sure that we're right with God. And because it's hard. How many know ministry can be hard? Sometimes people don't want to hear you, amen? But you know the truth and you're like, no. And, And some of you might say, well, yeah, you know what? It's a lot easier not to go to Nineveh. Or you know what? Maybe they just deserve it anyway, man. But God doesn't want us to have those hearts. He wants us to obey him, amen, and still tell them the truth. Some people you're talking to have been brainwashed by the world, okay? Or they're just blinded even by false theology. But you need to speak the truth from God's word to them and not give up, amen? Because eventually, you know what, just like you got plucked out, God's going to use you by by His Spirit as you continue to sow seeds, you continue to be a fisherman and snatch people out of the fire. He's going to use you as a witness by which His Spirit uses in the name of Christ and the gospel to save souls. Amen? So it's interesting because now let's pick it up at chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me, Jonah's repenting, okay, of of his turning away from the Lord. I cried uh, for help from the depth of Sheol. Now, there could be a double entendre here. We don't know for sure. Uh, Some scholars believe that uh, he's just in the fish the whole time as a picture. But Jesus says, as Jonah was the belly of the earth or the heart of the earth. Isn't that interesting? Now he mentions Sheol. So it could be a transition. He's first in the fish, and then he's in Sheol. And it goes back and forth because he experienced first the fish, right? Or the whale or whatever sea creature, whatever it was. And then he also perhaps experienced uh, death. That would be an even more radical picture of the resurrection, wouldn't it, right? And you heard my voice, verse 3, For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I look again toward your holy temple. Ha! That was not running off the Tarshish in his heart. He's like, I need to get right with God. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I mean, he's got seaweed wrapped around his head, man. He's just, you know, he's just crying out, help, help. Or maybe, kelp, kelp. I don't know what he's crying out, you know. But he was, he's, I don't know, I've got too many of these today. But anyway, uh, he's cried out to God, you know, he's, please help me. It's all wrapped around his head. It's kind of a comical book, though, you know. So it really is. And uh, verse 6, I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. Wow. But you have brought, you have brought up my life from the pit. Wow. Oh, Lord, my God. While I was fading away, I remembered the Lord, Yahweh, And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. And the faithfulness idea, faithfulness, as most uh, translations seem to agree, uh, is speaking of God's faithfulness. They, they, like the the, the God's mercies, like we've talked about the, the the mercies of David. The mercy that God gave David is there. they forsake the mercy that could be theirs. In fact, the New International Version says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Okay? And also the NET says, those who worship worthless idols forfeit the mercy of God that could be theirs. And the International Standard Version says, those who cling to vain idols leave behind the gracious love that could have been theirs. Very similar. God's grace is for everybody. Amen. Even for the Ninevites. If you wonder if God is, you know, Calvinist or not, no, he's not. He was that all would be saved. Amen. He was that all would come to repentance and know Jesus. Amen. Right. So we always go with Christ over any man-made teaching. Verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you, says Jonah, with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. That would be pretty cool to see, you know? Yeah. You I hope that's on videotape. Especially if he, especially if he was at like, 20, 30 yards out when he projected him, you know. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, uh, I don't know. He could have just like just puked him up, you know. Or he could have just been a bit of projectile. I don't know. I hope it was a projectile because either way he's okay, it would be cool. Anyway, verse 9, we see that he's vomited Jonah up onto dry land, hits the beach there. And uh, now chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a what? A second, a second time. Wow. What's God doing? Having mercy on Jonah. The book starts with the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Then Jonah rebels against the Lord. And he's being selfish and arrogant, putting his thoughts, his will in front of God's and going in the opposite direction that God called him to go. Yet God is a God of mercy on Jonah. Amen? Right. He's showing him love says he came to him a second time. Aren't you glad God gives second chances? Yes. Yeah. Oh, but Joe, I've blown it more than two times. Well, Peter said, how many times? Jesus said, I forgive my brother up to seven times? Seven times 70. Jesus said, seven times 70. Amen, Gregory. Seven times 70, man. And if you're doing the math, that's 490. The point is not to do the math. The point is to get lost in the math. He continues, forgiving God if there's true repentance in your heart. You're like, Lord, I am truly sorry. I want to follow you. I repent. And you put your trust in him and follow him. He will forgive you. How beautiful is that? Now, God's showing mercy to him. He's giving him another opportunity. What a good God we have. Amen. Amen. He's a loving God. It says he desires to show mercy. It says he has mercy over all of his works. He says, my heart is turned over within me through one of the prophets because he longs to show them mercy. But we need to repent. We need to get right. Chapter 3, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Interesting, he has this long walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty days, man, you guys are going to be overthrown. Nineveh will be overthrown, which I think is really interesting, because... What a short message this is. In fact, in the Hebrew, and I actually looked up in in a linear, the Hebrew, and it's only five words. Literally, it's 40 more days, Nineveh overthrown. It's even shorter in the Hebrew. It's, It's crazy. So he's just walking around, 40 more days, Nineveh overthrown. And how many times can you preach that? Probably only a day, because the next day is 39 days, right? Yeah. It's a five-word a five message. Now, it's interesting. It seems like something's lacking in that message. He doesn't tell them, you know, you got to repent. Get right with God. There's no indication that he said anything like that. Just five words he kept saying. I mean, you know... In Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah says very clearly, you know, if I tell a nation to repent and I'm planning on blessing it uh, or, or destroying it and it repents, I'll relent of the destruction I was going to bring. However, if I'm going to bless a nation and I'm planning to bless them and they turn evil, I'll withhold the blessing that I was going to give, and they'll be destroyed. See, God's not partial. It happened even to Israel, right? Yes. But he gives details. Or how about Ezekiel chapter 3, verse chapter 18, chapter 33? Tells them to repent. But he also pleads with them, turn ye, turn ye. Why will you die, O house of Israel? You know, repent, turn and live. He says, you know, for God has no pleasure in the death of anyone. For God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know, he continues to plead with them, amen. Repent, God's love. Jonah doesn't say any of that. We don't see any of that. He just says five words. Forty more days, Nineveh is just overturned. Because God told him to warn them. But guess what? I think he may be, I don't know. I'm just going to say that part. Because he hates them. He wants them to burn. So he gives them the minimalist message. 40 more days. Nineveh overthrown. By the way, I was talking to some Mormons and talking to them about how uh, Joseph Smith made a ton of false prophecies. And he said, well, there's some, I mean, in the Bible there's false prophecies. like, where? Oh, well, Jonah. 40 days. And Nineveh would be overturned guess what that was a conditional warning but they might say well it was no condition he didn't say if you repent though he'll turn from that but God's already spoken through his prophets right that's the implication in Jeremiah 18 he says very clearly if they repent why pronounced judgment if a nation repents I will relent of the destruction I was going to bring upon them amen that's a biblical principle but by the way either way His prophecy came to pass you know why in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. You know what the over, word overturned means in the Hebrew? It means changed. Someone got it. It means changed. They're going to be changed either way. <laughs> they were changed. They repented. They got right with God. Amen. There was a national revival, right? So it, they were overturned. Now, Jonah probably didn't intend that, but God, guess what? God's saying, hey, either way, they're going to be overturned. Either the hearts will be overturned and I'm going to bless them or I'm going to destroy them. But the idea there is if they don't repent, they're going to be destroyed. It's just so amazing. Our God is so amazing. And they were radically transformed. They repented. They repented. Now, can you imagine? I mean, what got their attention? I think this Jew that probably looked quite a bit different than them. Walking in their midst and his story, what happened. If there was anybody on the beach that day, I know if I saw that happen, I'd be following the dude for a while. This is crazy. I don't know. I mean, I'd be tripping out, you know. And the news would probably spread just beyond him. And by the way, what did he look like? The, the sign of the prophet Jonah and its modern confirmations in the Princeton Theological Review, it states of his skin of this guy Bartley, James Bartley, who was supposedly in the sperm whale for some time. It says of his skin that a, sk- a skin where it was exposed to the action of the gastric juices underwent a striking change. His face and his hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness, and the skin was wrinkled. Giving the man an appearance of having been parboiled. So come on, you got this guy. What did Jonah look like, man? Yeah. You know, he's just walking through, repent. 40 days you're overturned. <laughs> you know? I'm like, and I'm like, I better get right, because it looks like he just was almost destroyed. You know? We don't know exactly, but you know, when Christ was resurrected from the dead, which this is a picture of, amen? Right? He shone like white, right? Like in the trans transfiguration. Even the angels prior to that, you know, when he appeared to John, his (laughs) face was just but beautiful, right? Not not gastric acids and putrid and you know, deadly white, but just (laughs) at times during his resurrection appearances, like to Paul, Paul's eyes were blinded because he was so bright, amen. And that caused incredible faith in the apostle Paul, amen. So this may play into it the way Jonah looked. I sure hope it's on videotape in heaven. Not videotape, but the Lord just goes, you just can see whatever you want to see. I don't know. We don't know how that works. You know? might be just, heaven's going to be so beautiful, you might even think about it. You know? I just might have a talk with Jonah. Hey, Jonah, what was that like, man? (laughs) My pastor said you might have been a projectile. I'll say, hey, I was just kind of playing with that, but you know. But anyway, just crazy stuff. And it's interesting. Look at chapter 3 now, verse 6, as we work our way through it. Can you believe we're in chapter 3 already? In uh, verse 6, halfway through it? Wow. <laughs> when the word reached the king of Nineveh. Man, you get the king's attention now. We're talking. Man, can you imagine if Biden repented? Dude. Don't hold your breath, but pray. Okay? When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on his, the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, if in Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste anything. Man, taste the thing. He's even having the animals fast. A forced fast for the animals. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way, that each may turn from his wicked way and from violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burden anger so that we will not perish. That shows me that Jonah wasn't saying repent. Or he was preaching repentance in the message, but that he wasn't saying, if you do this, God will do this. Because he said, who knows? Yes. Isn't that interesting? He preached repentance only with the words that you're going to be overthrown, but it was implicit you're going to be overthrown But the way God's economy works, and I believe God's Spirit was probably radically at work at that time, because you can't turn to the Lord unless you're drawn by Him. And Jesus said, if the Son of Man be lifted up, He'll draw all men to Himself. But even prior to that time, we see that the Holy Spirit was at work in the book of Genesis, grieved that men had turned from Him. Amen. The Holy Spirit's been at work all all along in certain ways. He's especially at work through the Gospel now. But He was calling men to repentance, because it says God's, Peter talks about how God, during during the time of Noah, that there was a long suffering of God. He suffered. He hurt in his heart, and the spirit of God was grieved. The scriptures tell us. Now it's interesting here, because these guys do repent at the preaching of Jonah. Okay, even though he doesn't use the word repentance, the king is like, "Hey, who knows?" You know. So, verse eight. But uh, both men, man and beast, must be covered with sackcloth. Even the animals are covered with sackcloth, guys. And let men call on... Do you ever see such a thing? And let Can you see camels walking around with sackcloth on them, you know? And let men call on God earnestly and each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that he will not perish. I read that again because watch what happens here. When God saw their what? Saw their deeds. That they turn from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Okay? Now, this is important. And I want to emphasize this and and even read that again. Because the text emphasizes twice. He tells them to turn from the evil ways, right? Then it says he turned from the evil ways. Amen? Well, this is important to understand. Because today there's a false teaching that's really, I believe, sending a lot of souls to hell. And it's that you don't need to repent of sin. That you could just believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and go on your merry way and still live a wicked life. There's millions of people who are being taught that once they're saved, as long as they, put their faith, they, they believe that Jesus died for them, they don't have to repent. They, they could be, be adulterers, they could be homosexuals, they could be drunkards, they could be revilers, thieves, extortioners, murderers, all that. But that's why Paul says, be not deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's so what he says, neither fornicators or adulterers or homosexuals or effeminate or revilers or extortioners or drunkards. And big old list, they will not inherit God's kingdom. That's why Paul says, and that's the Corinthians, the first Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. That's why Paul says to the Galatians, these are the deeds of the flesh, verses 19, 20, 21. There's like almost 20 different deeds of the flesh there. In case he leaves any out, he says, and, and things that are like this. I warn you, even as I warned you before, you can know for certain that those who practice these things, practice the key. They continue in this rebellion, will not inherit God's kingdom. And then chapter 6, verses 7, he says, be not deceived. There is again. He warns us not to be deceived on this issue, guys. And when I see the Bible say, be not deceived on the issue, I know he has to say that because there's deception on that very issue. Yes. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But he that sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And we shall reap if we, do not, if, if we continue in well-doing. So if we continue trusting Him and following Him and walk in the Spirit, as he says in that same book in chapter 5, walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, then you're going to be blessed. Amen? Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. He talks about those who are involved in perversion and everything else. And he says, you know, let no one deceive you. There is again with vain words that those who practice these things, he says again, will have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. There it is again. He says, do not be partakers with them. That's just so powerful. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 4 through 8. Actually, verses 7 and 8, he says, Don't be partakers with the children of wrath. For you were darkness, but now you're light. He's warning the children of light. He's not warning professors that don't possess Jesus. He's warning those who are children of light. He says, but don't go back. Don't become partakers with the children of wrath. So this is very, very serious because today, right now, you have millions and millions of Christians in the United States and people want revival? You're not going to have revival when you've got a false gospel that leaves professing Christians and pastors who are teaching many of the congregations in rebellion to God and morality and making a joke about holiness and, and not truly repenting their hearts. And we know they're repenting here. We know this is what repentance is. How do we know this? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, man, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, And now one greater than Jonah is here. That's what repentance looks like, man. Now, doing good things isn't that's the fruit of repentance. But repentance is a beautiful Greek word in the New Testament called metanoia. Okay? And I use that that word repentance beautiful. When I do marriage counseling, when I counsel people, I often talk about because that's the key for so many people. They need to have metanoia means to have a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to a change of direction and a change of behavior. The change of direction, the change of behavior that you actually act out, you live out, that's the fruit. That's the fruit. That's not, that's, that's the fruit of repentance. Because J- John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Amen. Repentance is the change of heart, and change of mind. Saying, you know what? In my heart, I'm turning from my wicked ways and I'm bracing the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Right. So man, the, Jesus said, unless you repent, you all likewise perish. Amen. And I love the fact that he says all. Oh, that means, guess what? We all need to make sure we realize he invites all of us to come to him, amen, and to know him. What did the prodigal son do? Luke 15, 17 through 21, Jesus spoke of the prodigal son. And he, uh, the prodigal it says, how many of my father's hired men, this is after he came to an end of himself, right, have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I'm going to go back to my father. And say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He humbled himself too. So he got up and he went to his father. That's the fruit of repentant heart. And we read that the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, for this son of mine was dead, but is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Well, guess what? Think about this story. It gets really, really heavy. Because a lot of times people think the story of the prodigal son is all about the prodigal son. Most people think that. I mean, just if you ask the question, the answer seems to be in the question. What's the story of the prodigal son about? Well, uh, the prodigal son, of course. And that's part of it. But you know what? The bigger part of it is not about the prodigal son, but it's about his older brother. Because if you look at the narrative, it begins in chapter 15, the first few verses, where they're mocking Jesus. The Pharisees want nothing to do with him. They're like, look, he's talking to these, the, 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 the sinners, man. Because he's talking to drunkards. And he's talking to prostitutes, bringing them to, trying to bring them into the kingdom. Yes. He says, what is this guy doing? And then he talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin. right? When one sinner repents, the angels of heaven rejoice, he says. "Right." Then he gives the story of the prodigal son. But he talks about the older brother who when there's repentance and his brother's getting a party he's all self-righteous and angry now Jesus just talked about how the angels of heaven rejoice over one sinner that comes repentance what a contrast here's his older brother he should be so happy his brother came back but he's all ticked off because he took his inheritance and he spoiled it And it was a horrible thing that he did but he should be happy his dad was rejoicing that's the father's heart that's the heart of Jesus my son was lost but now he's found he was dead but now he's alive but he's angry you never killed a fatted calf for me. That's heavy. Because guess what? Jesus' parable, the prodigal son, guys, is ultimately really it's about the prodigal son, yes, but it's also very much about the prodigal brother. And guess what? This is what the book of Jonah is about. Guess what? The prodigal son is a picture of J- Jonah, too. For the first three chapters, what does he do? Like the prodigal son. He goes the other way. He leaves the will of the Father, amen. He rebels. But then God gives, takes him back. Amen. Ooh, but the last chapter is not about the prodigal son. It's about like the older brother. Because he's so angry that God's going to forgive the Ninevites. Are you seeing that? Yes. So a lot of people think the prodigal son's about the prodigal son only or mainly. But it's also and very much so. And I would say probably even more so about. Because Jesus is directing this to the Pharisees who are judging him. About them being like the older brother. And a lot of people think Jonah is about the Ninevites repenting. And it's a lot to do with that. But guess what? It's more to do, I believe, it's more a teaching of God's people about Jonah and his heart being like the self-righteous brother later in Jesus' parable. Are you with me today? Yes, sir. Okay. And that's why it's hard to go so deep when you cover four chapters, but we're, gonna, we're getting into it. Amen? And we're understanding. It's this important stuff. So let's go to chapter four. Chapter, Jonah chapter four. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. They repent, and Jonah becomes what? He gets ticked off. He's so angry. His true colors are showing. It's quite amazing when you think about it, you know? And it's really, really heartbreaking when you see this. And look at verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? I mean, he was worried about them repenting. Are you seeing this, guys? That's the problem. He's got a messed up heart. Why do you think God called Jonah? He could have called a lot of obedient prophets. Sometimes he'll call you to something because he wants to teach you something. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. However you want to pronounce it. Tarshish or Tarshish. You can pronounce it either way. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity, those are beautiful words quoted from Exodus. certain in Chronicles. That's all over the Old Testament. Oh, the God of the Old Testament, man. He's a mean God. Really? I can show you passages like this more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. Oh, so the New Testament is, well, no. God gives the son, amen. But that was prophesied in the Old Testament. That's God's heart, amen. So he's saying, I knew, I was hoping uh, to forestall this. So I fled to Tarshish, for I knew you are gracious and compassionate, God. I want to read again, it's so beautiful. Slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. That's God's heart toward you. You need to believe that, amen? Because yes, the enemy is accused of the brethren. When he gets in your head and says, God doesn't love you, or God's sick of you. No, he loves you. Just yeah. repent, because he wants everyone, even the Ninevites, to repent. I love 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Verse 8, too. God is not slow. Two right, he's not slow concerning his judgment, but God is not willing that any would perish, but that what all—that's All, you, that's the Ninevites, that's Jonah—would come to repentance. Verse three. Praise God! God gives him a second chance, and you are glad, right? You get second chances, Amen. Yes. Seventy times seven. Chapter four, verse three. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. He wants to die now. Right. He, dying wasn't the problem; he just didn't want to see these guys saved is that heavy? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. I mean, if I have to live, see, these guys being right with you and saved, I want to die. Wow. Second time he wants to die, by the way. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? There's not a good reason there. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under its shade until he could see what would happen in the city. What in the world? He finished his mission. He didn't want anything to do with Nineveh. Now he's kind of hanging out there. Yeah. Goes to a mountainside. Why is he there? Because he's hoping that they'll just go back to their old ways quick and he wants to see, pfft, yeah. he wants to see like a Sodom and Gomorrah scene. Oh, this is, oh check this out, man. You know, well, let's see how long they last. This guy has a lot of hatred built up in his heart. There's a problem here, guys. He didn't want them. He didn't want to be there. Now he wants to be there, right? And uh, I tell you guys, uh, there's a powerful lesson here, okay? And it's really a powerful lesson. And God gives Jonah now to teach him and to teach us a powerful, powerful object lesson. Look at chapter 4. Let's pick it up again now at verse, uh, well, let me see where I leave off. Verse 6. So the Lord God appointed a plant, And by the way, I think it's very interesting. Remember I said that fish, that sea creature, could have been the first of its kind? Right? Or a brand new sea creature that God just made? Guess what God did with this? He appoints a plant that did not exist. Mm. Just hit me for the first time, the parallel. As I just read that, I go, "Ah, that's interesting. I mean, I knew he appointed a brand new plant, but I didn't think of it with the whale or the big fish or whatever that was as a parallel. That's interesting. He points this great big fish. Now he points this plant as an object lesson. So the Lord of God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah. So to be a shade over his head and deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. He's not happy about all these people getting saved, right? At least 120,000. He should be happy. The angels rejoice over just one. He should be ecstatic, man. He should be so happy. Like, I can't believe they came. I can't, woo, man, do I have a, now I got a will of a story, right? Now I've got a double will of a store. I can't wait to rejoice with my brethren that Nineveh came to repentance. No, he wants them dead, and he's happy about a plant. But God appointed a worm. Ha, brand new worm, just like I think it was a brand new fish. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. Wow, isn't that interesting? When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became, a faint, he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. That's the second time, right? Yeah. Even though the third time he said, throw me in the water, right? This is crazy, guys. This is amazing. Jonah is, it's just amazing what's happening here. Now he points a worm. Hey, there's an object lesson here. What's the object lesson? Jonah, you're a selfish person, man. You're so self-righteous. I forgave you. I gave you mercy. And I gave you protection and shade. And you're so happy about the plant. But one plant gets destroyed. You could care less about all these people perishing. And you're okay with the plant. In fact, you're happy about the plant because you're selfish. Because you want the plant to protect you from the sun. But you don't want me to protect 120,000 plus people. You're being self centered, Jonah. Can't you see it? He's given an object lesson that you are so self ingratiated that you needed mercy. You were in rebellion to me, and I gave you grace. I gave you mercy. I loved on you, Jonah, when you didn't deserve it. But guess what? You want all these people to perish when you've got the same problem. And this is serious stuff because the Bible says in the book of James that, you know, and it's very clear that God shows mercy to those who show mercy. And Jesus said that in the, in the, in the Gospels too. He says, but there's judgment without mercy for those who refuse to show mercy. And Jesus says, we pray this way. told us, how to pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive the way we forgive those who sin against us. Then Jesus went on to say, for if you forgive your brother from your heart, the Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive your brother from your heart, you will not be forgiven. A lot of people like to explain that away too because people just want to be in rebellion today. But this is serious stuff. You want to be a true, genuine Christian, truly following Jesus. Amen? We need to make sure our hearts are right. But, you know, Jonah, man, he was, he was jacked up. It's a problem, man. A lot of the Jews wrote off the Gentiles. They were supposed to be lights to the Gentiles. Remember, even Peter, even after he knew Jesus died for them, man, God had to give him that sheep from heaven, so he'd witness to Cornelius, a Gentile. Then Peter says, and now I know that God's not partial. Amen? That's one thing we got. God, don't judge other people and say God doesn't want to save them. He's not partial. Amen? But, he, but he'll accept anybody who fears him and comes to him, Peter says. That's powerful, man. Martin Luther, man. Martin Luther, uh, you know, kicked off the Protestant Reformation. Yet later in his life, he wrote about how the Jews that reject Christ, we should tear the tongues out of the rabbis and burn down their synagogues. That's jacked up. That's messed up. George Whitfield, a powerful evangelist, in the time of George, uh, John Wesley, the two power, most powerful evangelists, two of the most powerful evangelists ever. But Wesley was against holding slaves, and he wrote to Whitfield about his slave holding slaves. Slavery was a, a, illegal in Georgia at that time. But guess who had slaves? George Whitfield, and he defended it. And he was wrong. Obviously wrong. Oh, you see the god hate fags group, right? I mean, the Westboro Baptists, they've been in the news for years off and on. You know? They go to funerals of American citizens who've died in the war, and then they protest against them, saying they're in hell. In fact, on their website, the manifesto of the Westboro Baptist Church says, we are the Tulip Baptist Church. Five points of Calvinism. We believe and vigorously preach the five points of Calvinism. Anyone preaching otherwise is a hell-bound false prophet, a messenger of Satan, to whom we say, Anathema Maranatha, and let him be cursed by God. Wow. Here's a, a Calvinistic hymn from years back. The Calvinistic hymn, it's, written in, it's, it's recorded in Fisher's History of the Christian Doctrine. We are the Lord's elected few. Let all the rest be damned. There's room enough in hell for you. We won't have heaven crammed. That's just messed up, man. Can you imagine seeing that? I could see Jonah singing that, you know, back in those days, right? This is wicked, guys. We need to love people. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, amen? Jesus said, for "For God so loved the world that he gave his only God Son, that whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life. And the very next verse is that God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved. And It's interesting, God allows this to take place, this pain in Jonah's heart, to wake him up. God does that to you and me. We go through trials because he wants to wake us up. Sometimes we go through things, a lot of times we go through things, God's trying to get our attention, trying to teach us a lesson. That's so why it's important to be in prayer. That's so why it's important to be in the word because God is interested in these things. He's very serious about your heart and where, is it, where it's at. You know, run here, run there, run everywhere, but guess what? Don't run from God because in your heart, that's the main thing God wants to deal with. And then when he gets your heart, then he can minister to people. Amen? Now, it's quite interesting here because Paul even had a thorn in the flesh. So he wouldn't be lifted up by pride. Amen? It says, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Man, God is serious. And it's interesting here because this is what blows me away when I was studying this. I'm like, man, this is really, really gnarly in a good way. Because, remember it says God prepared a plant because of for Jonah's discomfort? That's what the NIV says. That's what the English Standard Version says. That's what the uh, uh, you know, NIV, ESV, NASB all say. But guess what? That's not the best translation of that word. You know what it is? It's the same word, discomfort, it's the same Hebrew word that's used at the beginning of the book when it talks about the wickedness of the Ninevites, verse 2. The wickedness of the Ninevites is the same Hebrew word. You can check it out. In fact, it's interesting because the English Revised Standard says to deliver Jonah from his evil case. The Legacy Standard Bible, which was just put out by Sun Valley a Grace uh, uh, Seminary there, uh, just a couple years ago, this, this translation came out. Listen how it translates it. So Yahweh, and they translate your, Lord Yahweh in their, their Old Testament. So Yahweh got, Yahweh got appointed a plant, and it came up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from, not from his discomfort, to deliver him from his miserable evil. And Jonah was extremely glad about the plant. Mm-hmm. Woo! He's thinking, oh, this is shade. And God goes, no, I'm going to deal with your heart, man. Yeah. See, God sent Jonah to save Nineveh, right? But he sent this plant to save Jonah from himself. And God plants stuff in our lives Things that are thorny, like Paul's thorn flesh, things that are painful. So we will turn from evil and we'll learn that God is good. And so we'll be tested. In fact, it's interesting, I've been memorizing the first chapter of James as I'm preparing uh, to get into the book of James with you. It's very interesting because when he talks about consider all joy when you encounter various trials, a little bit later in the chapter, about verse, I don't know, 10 or so, 10, 9, 10, 11, right in there, it says that the, the guy of humble circumstances, the brother of humble circumstances, is to rejoice in his high position. In other words, a brother in humble circumstances, that's a brother in Christ, he has a high position, man. He needs to rejoice. Hey, you're going through horrible times right now but your name's written in heaven. You're joint heir with Christ. But he says, but the rich man is rejoicing in his humiliation because he says like flowering grass he will pass away. And then he goes on to say for the sun rises right, with a scorching wind. Sound familiar with the plant? Right? And and, and it says and it withers the grass and its flower falls off and not only that happens but he says and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. In other words, rich man, guess what? You're going to stand before God someday. You need to get right, make sure your heart's right with God. Amen? Amen? And make sure you rejoice in your humble. You need to be humble and rejoice that God also will bless you if you humble yourself before him. So there's so much heavy stuff going on. I think there's a parallel with James, also in Jonah, with the scorching wind and God humbling people. This, the Bible is such a blow of mine. It is so heavy, guys. Yes. Chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? We read that, right? Then look what he goes on to say. Yes. Verse 10, then the Lord said, "You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. It was just temporarily there. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left or their right and left hand?" as well as many animals. In other words, a lot of people think there's 120,000 speaking of the kids that didn't know the left from the right. That would put the number at over half a million maybe. Because in Jonah, if you don't care about the people, at least be concerned about the animals, right? Care about the animals. God cares about even the sparrow that falls to the ground, right? This is all just so heavy to me. Now, I think it's amazing as well because we need to apply this to our lives. Apply this to your life. Think of your worst enemy. Think of the person who's hurt you the most in life. Think about him. What if you found out that they repented and they got right with God and they were sorry for their sin and they came to church next Sunday? How would you feel about that? How would you deal with that, you know? I hope to God that you would accept them. If you're saying, no, I'd be really angry. Now now you're talking. Now I can relate to Jonah. No, don't. Okay, relate to Jonah for a second. Say, okay, that's me too. Then repent. Amen? Because you want to get the message of Jonah. Amen? You want to draw a line from Jonah to your own heart. Because God is a good God. And there's so many ironies here too. I mean, come on. Jonah won't repent. But the people on the boat repent. The fish obeys him. Or whatever it was, right? The Ninevites repent. Even the animals seem repentant. But there's Jonah, unrepentant. There's a, those are just thick ironies that are just so amazing. But we ultimately need to examine our own hearts. And we need to understand that the Lord is indeed slow to anger. Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. I love that. Remember Paul said God saved him, the chief of sinners? So everybody and anybody who would come to him could also know that if God saved him, he would save them. Psalm one eighteen twenty nine says, "Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His love endures forever." Amen. I love Lamentations three twenty two and twenty three. Uh, it is for the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, right? Because His compassions fail not; they are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. Aren't you glad that God's mercies are new to us every single morning? Amen. Romans chapter eleven verse thirty two says this: For God has shut up all into disobedience. That's every one of us that he might show mercy to all. He wants to show mercy to everybody. But as the author of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 16, that we're supposed to go confidently into his throne room of grace, amen, and receive mercy and grace in time of need, amen. Will you do that? Because I'm telling you right now, without Christ, you're dead in your sins. Without Christ, it's being like on a grease pole to hell. You're you're doomed. But he loves you so much that he holds out that nail-pierced hand and says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened. Amen. And he will give you rest for your soul. He died for you. He rose for you. The sign of Jonah, they said he gave the Jews of his time. What was the sign of Jonah? That as Jonah was in the belly for the fish, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. He'll be raised. How would that be a sign? That would be a powerful sign. But you know what happened when Jonah rose? The whole Nineveh repented. What happened when Jesus rose from the dead, man? This world's been turned upside down in many ways, Right? There's all kinds, of hundreds of millions of people that repent as a result, of even far more than what happened in Jonah's day. Amen? Amen? Have come to Christ. It's prophetic. But the beauty is this. Just as when Jonah was thrown overboard and the roaring wrath of God's sea calmed, God's wrath against you because of your sin, if you get right with him and say, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, his wrath against you will be calmed. Amen? And he'll accept you. He pleads with us. Do you, isn't he gracious to work with Jonah? He could said, this is a terrible prophet. <laughs> you're done. No. You know? He worked. He loves us. He cares about you. He's patient with you. But you have to repent. Because Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Amen? So I encourage this. If you're, if you're in rebellion to God and you haven't come to Christ yet, you need to turn to him right now and be thankful, man. Because we have the sign of Jonah. We have all these eyewitnesses that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? But you may be here today, you say, man, I'm a Christian, but guess what? I think I'm back so I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I have a lot of hatred in my heart built up toward people. Well, guess what? Like Jonah, you better get right, amen? Because God's given you another opportunity, and he, wants, he loves you. He wants to use you. But just say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I repent of the hatred and unforgiveness built up in my heart. And he'll do that because he's a good God, amen? Yes. And if he can make a big old fish, if he can make these plants, if he can bring the Ninevites to repentance, and bless them, he can easily do that with you, especially because now we're on the other side of the cross. Jesus died, is was buried, he rose again, and conquered the grave. Amen. Praise God. Let's all please stand as we pass out the cup and the bread.